Hello, everyone. Welcome back. We are the Lib Slayers, Tony and Clem. Our mission, as always, is to bring global awareness to the general public while exposing the legacy media and its demonic globalist overlords. How are you doing today, Clem? Yeah, I'm really good, Tony, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Well, uh, we have a special guest in today. Mike on the mic has returned after his trilogy with us on the Killing the, the Ides of March series we did. Uh, he felt the need to come on back and give us an update on the Obamagate spying scandal. Also, what are the next moves Trump is going to make or has made since our last showing? So how are you doing today, Mike? Doing good. Fantastic. Why don't you take us through what the new intel is and the floor is yours. All right. So probably the most important development that has uh, taken place since the last time I was on was Jeff Sessions revealed that he indeed has appointed an outside prosecutor. This man works for the Department of Justice attorney. He is Huber. His name is his last name is Huber. He's out of Utah, um, and he's in Utah. So when Sessions alluded, had alluded to it earlier, uh, they, there was a prosecutor outside of Washington. He was referring, I believe, to this guy Huber way out there in Utah. Um, and he revealed that this has been going on for the last six months. So this is... Uh, this dovetails with the Inspector General Horowitz, his investigation that's going on. So what is becoming apparent, and you could you could have safely assumed from the amount of text and stuff that was leaked, um, that there's been an investigation going on the whole time, countering Mueller's. Um, whether or not Mueller's for Trump, against Trump, that's, that still remains to be seen. He seems like he's going into some pretty... Uh, some places that you wouldn't expect a Russian collusion investigation to go into. We're talking Trump's finances from the early 90s, um, meetings in the United Arab Emirates after the election, and um, other stuff that doesn't really have anything to do with Russian collusion. Um, but again, back to this Huber guy. This is You begin to realize that it's Horowitz most likely discovering all these text messages and subversion going on. He may be the one that leaks it to the press, who knows, but he's obviously been giving this stuff to Huber as well. And that's what leads me to believe that um, the people we've discussed on this show earlier, uh, particularly Peter Strzok, the uh, deputy uh, deputy director of counterintelligence under Bill Priestap, him and his uh, liaison, his paramour, Lisa Page, a Department of Justice lawyer. They're the ones whose text messages have really kicked off the cluing into everybody that there is indeed an investigation going on into Obama-era Department of Justice uh, issues with regards to illegal spying. And the fact that Peter Strzok is an HR, this guy goes from Deputy Director of Counterintelligence to working in HR, and the important a fact to understand about this is that since he still works for the FBI, it, he is forced to be called. If he is called to court, he has to go. If, if he were to be fired, he could theoretically hide behind his lawyer. But since he's still employed and obviously he's most likely cut a deal, he will be asked to testify and he will, be, he will have to testify. So that's where we're at. A government official can't plead the fifth, correct? That is correct. If they're employed taking pay from the federal government they're compelled to have candor or candor which is what McCabe didn't have which is why 
he was fired. Interesting. Can you go into where Huber, uh, the Huber guy, who is he, Where who appointed him, where did he come from? Because that's a name probably no one's ever heard of. Yeah, um, this uh, this attorney Huber, he's out of Utah. Um, what gives some people pause is the fact that he was an Obama appointee in 2015. Like all the other attorneys, when Trump took over, they all resigned. Um, but he was reappointed by Trump in, I want to say, July, which kicks off right when all this, um, the text messages were beginning to be revealed and showing that there was obviously something illegal going on. Uh, so it's also been said that he's he knows Mitt Romney. He's would be considered a friend. So I'm, I'm guessing, but it's also been said that he's a high-integrity guy and if if there's something wrong, he's gonna he's gonna actually bring it to light. So, hey, hey Mike, uh, I got a question for you. Uh, I, sure. I saw a very short piece just the other day with uh, Judge Napolitano, and he was basically saying that this guy out of Utah essentially has no teeth uh, because he's in Utah. What do you know about that, or what what can you how, what can you speak to that? Um, from what I've researched, I think actually Napolitano was walked that back. Um, he does have teeth, and I think Napolitano has since quoted himself as saying, well, he's like, well, now I believe he's actually a special prosecutor without naming a special prosecutor, and that's the important part, that all these Republicans and stuff are begging for a special prosecutor. Well, what if Jeff Sessions has had a guy over this entire thing they're crying about for the last six months? He's got about five agents or five former uh, Obama era Department of Justice people that have flipped and most likely people ahead of them because there's the, the new text messages that have come out, they're all redacted, but they're not all redacted. They leave very important names and it's going to be, um, they're only redacted because these people haven't been charged yet. They will, they will come to light eventually. And that's why I'm, I'm fairly confident this is just a matter of time. Well, and then also uh, what Judge Napolitano was talking about as well is that, uh, that this uh, U.S. attorney out of, out of Utah essentially is going to have uh, at his fingertips all the investigators that are working for the IG right now, which is a, a fairly significant, I think over 500 investigators are in, assigned to the department of the IG. Is that right? That's correct. And think about it. Those 500 people have been digging through thousands of text messages and emails, and we've only seen the little bitty iceberg top of them. And I, I, you can just imagine what's out there. Yeah, I mean, they've got everything. What seeing what we've seen already is pretty damning, uh, if you ask me. And it's pretty blatant and pretty flagrant that you know you you have very specific people in the Department of Justice and the FBI that that were in fact violating law and violating the constitutional rights of the incoming president and when he was a candidate. So, good God, what else is coming? Yeah, absolutely. And then these, I mean, they they talk about it and. Um, and their text messages between, you know, Peter Strzok and Lisa Page. And they're basically just, oh, the deplorable Trump person. They just, you know, they basically believed every media hype about the guy. But as we can see with some leaks that have been coming out, not only was Trump dead serious about what he said and kept his promises, I think um, we definitely made the right decision. He definitely wanted to be president, and it's showing. And there's a, there was a quote recently. I think um, Tony's got it. Yeah, actually, um, I actually have it right here. Uh, actually, talking about the, President Trump talking about Syria. It says uh, the president 
had opened the meeting with a tirade about U.S. intervention in Syria and the Middle East more broadly, repeating lines from public speeches in which he denounced previous administrations for, quote, wasting $7 trillion in the region over the past 17 years. He stated, saying, what has the U.S. gotten for the money and American lives expended in Syria, question mark? Nothing, Trump said over and over, according to the officials. So, I mean, think about that. That I mean, Trump didn't tell that. Someone leaked that out. But to me, that's, a, that's an amazing thing to hear if, if he's really doing that, because what it shows is any kind of previous intervention talk about Trump had nothing to do with him and was most likely this McMaster guy who was just fired, thankfully, um, most likely been a source of numerous leaks. This guy was a thorn in Trump's side from the moment he got in, and he was Flynn's replacement. So wouldn't it just be complete poetic justice if <laughs> Flynn ends up being exonerated and coming back to the, his rightful position? But, yeah, well, this what, what is... Makes um, you think, what makes you continue to think that he will be exonerated? Is there anything that's developed over the last, you know, a couple weeks, 10 days or so that would you know, lead you to think that uh, that Flynn is going to be exonerated, or are we still pretty much where we were? Well, I mean, besides the fact that he's now got Judge Sullivan looking after his case, and um, this guy is known to overturn terrible prosecutions. Um, but he was recently seen at a, uh, a campaign stop for this guy named Omar Navarro, who's actually running against uh, crazy Maxine Waters down there in Southern California. He was taking pictures. He was all smiles and uh, looked like a guy who, I don't know, in my opinion, looks like he knew he was about to be exonerated. So it's just a matter of time for that. Um, but not, a guy, to, not a guy worried about doing hard time. Not if he's doing campaign stops. Does that strike you as someone um, who's shaking in their boots or maybe is? Well, well, not at all. And you know something else, that if you're out making campaign stops, unless you're communicating to the guy that you're campaigning for, like, look, don't worry about it. I mean, that would be a pretty big risk for anybody's campaign because it would be pretty easy for, you know, if, if Flynn ends up going to the pokey for any real time, you know, it's, oh, yeah, and then, the, you know, the political opponent looks out and says, yeah, this guy was, you know, campaigning for you and he's a criminal. So that's a pretty high-risk deal if, if you don't think it's pretty much settled. Exactly, yeah. They could point and say, oh, look at him glad-handing with a convicted felon. So um, I think... Yeah, I think we're on the way to, to getting a while around that. And then just to get back, though, to, to Trump's statement on Syria, it's, if he's saying this, you know, with the Joint Chiefs of Staff in a room like that, I mean, th this is serious talk. And I've heard this whole parade thing he wants to do, and everyone said, oh, well, you only have parades when guys come back from a war. And I think that's what Trump is aiming for. He's going to bring the guys out of Syria maybe somewhere else a good amount, you know, who knows. Um, but if he brings them out of Syria, that's, that's what the parade's for, and, and that would actually be... You know, that's one of the main reasons I voted for him in the first place, because I've been following that war pretty closely, and we can get into that pretty deeply if you wanted to. Um, but once again, different factions of that war lead directly back to Hillary Clinton, the entire Benghazi incident. You know, I think back to when Trump was basically forced by the media... Um, and to the advisors to send those 53 tomahawks into Syria as a reaction to the quote-unquote chemical attack that most likely had nothing to do with the Syrian government, you know, another false flag by the rebels to try and force the United States into Syria full war with 50,000 troops. You know, that's the one thing I'll give Obama credit for. 
of course, he was probably coerced by the deep state because they've been around. They're not the ones that were trying to take out Trump were Obama's people, but there's other people involved in the government as well. And they got him to say that whole red line, you cross this red line and use chemical weapons, we're coming at you. And of course, what do you know? Yeah, that's what's here. You know, you hear, oh, the U.S. is going to come attack us if we use chemical weapons. Let's use chemical weapons. You know, that's just an absurd idea for anyone to go to go on, especially, you know, Syria's Assad, who people like to attack the guy. But, I mean, when you really look at him, he was raised in Britain. He speaks perfect English. Um, his wife is more than acceptable looking. Um, he looks like a great family. And the guy's an eye doctor, so um, he's no dummy. And to think that he's going to send off chemical weapons like three days after Obama says there's this red line, it's absurd. But the people were against it. And the one thing you have to give Obama credit to is he sent it to Congress. He made Congress okay this little incursion into Syria. And it was voted down by every single Republican there was. They, they said they were getting 100 to 1 calls against going into Syria. So this idea that Trump wanting to get out is some kind of um, political damage, it's absurd. The people don't want to be there. And I think back to these lunatics on CNN and MSNBC after Trump sent those 53 tomahawks. You even had Van Jones, everybody going, wow, now he's president. Fareed Zakaria, who trashes him every chance he gets. Oh, Trump is just president now that he sent 53 Tomahawk missiles into Syria. I mean, there's just these supposed liberals are absolute well, warmongers. When they weren't criticizing, criticizing him for sending the 53 Tomahawks into an empty airfield. You know, it's like exactly. typical legacy media getting it both ways. Oh, he's finally the president. He's doing the bidding of the deep state. Uh, oh, but he only sent them into, you know, you have, I mean, it's like, what would you have been happier if he had like blown up a hospital with a bunch of kids in it? Absolutely. And right, plus, you also got to look at it this for Trump to make statements like this, knowing his criticism of Obama before of the vacuum that they left in Iraq when they pulled out and him, him not going to make that same mistake twice. Him just saying this right now means he's sewn up a deal with Russia. He's sewn up a deal with the Syrians that probably is going to go along the line of Assad stepping down and some kind of real election happening and Russia maintaining control of that part of the region, which is who their natural ally was at, with anyways, probably with some kind of help with China with our new beef with them, our old beef when I'm going to say it's new, but I don't see Trump making the same mistake, uh, making these kind of statements to then prepare the enemy for our withdrawal. He's decimated ISIS. I mean, ISIS is basically gone from Syria right now. You know, they say 99% of their territory lost. So I, I don't see Trump making these statements half-handedly. Actually, um, when you look at Syria, there's just so many different factions. Um, but ISIS is essentially wiped out. It has been taken, retaken over by the Syrian government in many, in many spots, but there's a big part um, of Syria very close to the Turkish border. In fact, it border is, borders it. It's called Idlib. This place is just packed with Sunni extremists. We're talking like the former Jabhat al-Nusra groups um, and other groups like the Free Syrian Army, which have kind of coalesced under Turkish the Turkish government's umbrella. Mike, I mean, they just Mike, if I can interrupt you to ask you this question that I really have been struggling to try to understand. Ultimately, who in American 
alliances around the world benefits or profits from American intervention in the Syrian civil war. I mean, what is it to us? I mean, who, why should I? Why should some guy working at a gas station uh, on the corner care whether or not Syrians want to tear Syria apart? Uh, he shouldn't care, and there was no reason to care. It was a pretty. I mean, Syria was a pretty well-functioning government. Bashar Assad was slowly but surely modernizing the country away from like a hard dictatorship like his father Hafez Assad had. I mean, he was on the way. You know, granted, it's going to be slow. It's probably going to take a decade or so. But you know, they wanted to take out Gaddafi. They wanted to, they wanted to take out Syria. I mean, you got to look at it. They took out they took out Gaddafi which then they flooded those weapons that he had stashed all over the country into Syria, well, through Turkey into Syria. And that's how uh, they were able to almost take three-quarters of the country. I mean, at one point, Assad basically just had Damascus. And that he was able to fight back is just, in itself, is an amazing story. And there's some amazing, there's some amazing battles that took place in Syria. We're talking guys that were in a air base surrounded by thousands of ISIS and there was only a couple hundred of them and they held them off for a couple of years. I mean, there's a couple stories like that out of Syria. It's, it's a, a pretty brutal well, if war. It, well, if the, if, it, if the average American doesn't have anything to gain, then who does? You know, why, are, why did we get involved? Who, who is really going to benefit? I mean, who's behind our intervention and what is it that they're, they're trying to get out of it? I mean, you could look at that from a bunch of different angles. It's just another military-industrial complex war. I mean, the Iraq war is winding down. It was winding down before ISIS came about. If Afghanistan, it is what it is. When we got like 15,000 troops there, not much, not much uh, military hardware being being bought. So that's why I think Trump wanted to sign that huge that huge budget because it was given a lot of money to the military. But Trump knows that. The Americans see losing soldiers and standing in other countries and spending money on maybe improvements or two completely different things. We don't want our soldiers in those other countries anymore. We're not wanted anyway. So uh, Tony got back there with uh, the point he made about Putin or uh, Trump making a deal with Assad in regards to the United States leaving. Actually, what I think the deal is, and it's kind of leaked out, is that the French, believe it or not, are going to take over our positions in Syria under Macron. I mean, he's he's going down in the polls. Maybe he's trying to rally his support. But that's what I've heard. The French are going to be taking our our positions. Well, and the reason I was asking, you know, I'm I'm trying to put trying to put into context that you know you had mentioned that Obama really kind of bucked the system and uh, sent it off to Congress. And I, to my understanding, is we still don't have an authorization for use of force from the Congress in Syria. And That's I'm trying to figure out if this was, you know, part of uh, the sabotage and the coup uh, coming into Trump, you know, winning that they were trying to take him down. If this, if the whole serious situation may have been part of what it was that he was, you know, it was part of the apple cart that he was flipping over on his way in that, that the deep state uh, wanted to maintain. Absolutely. They wanted to expand into Syria, and that's really why they wanted Hillary Clinton, because she made it very clear that if any red line was passed under her, she was going to send in the troops, you know, because it wouldn't be a single person from her family um, going. But yeah, she was willing to make, she was willing to make that hard decision, um, and Trump attacked her for that. 
Um, that's why the military-industrial complex, they didn't want Trump. He's giving them a big budget bill, so, I mean, I don't know if they're going to they're gonna take him out yet, but um, we're not. We're, he's getting out of the war business because it's a losing well, who business. Was that, uh, who was that former presidential candidate, the general, uh, that came out and talked about how, you know, even prior to the Iraq invasion, or might have been right after the Iraq invasion, that he was given a... Wesley Clark. Wesley Clark, that's it, General Wesley yep. Clark. Was, he, was, he was handed a, a, a piece of paper by one of his confidants saying, look at this, and it showed every single country that basically has been destroyed now in, in the last 18 years under our you know, U.S. occupation. I mean, from Egypt, Syria, I mean, all these were on the list. Syria, Egypt, Libya, uh, Iran, all of these countries were on the hit list. I mean, if you look what we did, we took functioning governments, whether ran by strong men or not, people need to understand that, you know, they believe democracy is the perfect form of government, but you have to understand a certain, there's certain parameters for democracy to work. You need certain kind, you know, levels of infrastructure, certain levels of resources. And without education. that, yeah, education, without that, you're going to, be reduced to having some form of a strong man to maintain order. Cause that's what in the essence it comes down to. It's maintaining order is what mostly these people do. If they can bring about public works and all that's even, you know, great and it's better. And that, and these countries were doing, these dictators were doing that. I mean, Libya was probably the best country. It was the best country to live in, in all of Africa. And now it is a haven of terrorism and literally slavery, open air slave auctions exist again. So, I mean, Hillary Clinton and, and Barack Obama, their legacy to me is is the re <laughs> the bringing back of slavery to blacks in Africa, in a place where they once prospered. It's a uh, it's unbelievable. Something else on that Libya, you know, he had recently uh, given up his uh, just like you know it's, it's really kind of odd because we see it again uh, in Syria, but he had recently given up his his uh, chemical weapons. And his son was engaging in trying to develop infrastructure for tourism, uh, et cetera, and Gaddafi was trying to uh, unify some of the African governments to come in together to form some uh, some economic trade blocks. So he was really being proactive and really, you know, trying to develop that. He was going to establish a pan-African currency backed by gold. That was probably his fatal his fatal mistake. Right. Well, I also to... know that the Bank of International Settlements had not set up you know, in Syria until uh, kind of recently as well. So, I'm you know what? The only that. two countries, you know, the only two countries don't have the IMF: Iran and North no, Korea. North Korea. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. Right. And now we are looking at possibly what? I mean, I have been seeing a narrative change with how we're dealing with Iran. Um, and what are you? What's going on with that? Uh, Trump's. It looks like they're going to tear up that the Iran nuclear accord. It was McMaster that was keeping Trump in it. Whether, I don't, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. I mean, where everyone already knows Israel has nukes, so it's not like... I mean, I, you look at it like this, and you guys just said it. Gaddafi gave up his chemical weapons and his aspirations for nuclear weapons. It, I want to say it wasn't too far after 9-11, because that freaked a lot of people out. That guy that got the IRA to give up their uh, violent overthrow. Um, and that also gave Gaddafi's like, okay, I'm not going to go for nukes. And that's why I think you see these other countries trying so hard to get them because 
if you don't have any that kind of big punch back, you're gonna get you'll be targeted. So yeah, but uh, it's it's just what it is. You well, know? And this is what Trump campaigned on that he didn't want to continue down that road. He didn't want to continue down that road with North Korea. He didn't want to continue down that road with Iran, which was the road that Obama had us on, which is pretty much an extension of where Bush had us. Um, and that's, I mean, again, those are great, great reasons for, you know, the moneyed interest, bankers, deep state, politicians that benefit by doing their bidding. You know, this is, uh, it makes sense to me that this is, these are some of the things that they saw Trump threatening uh, and why they went after him. Absolutely. And it's why they loved Hillary so much because she had already signaled. She, she said you should attack Russia based on an, an internet hack attack. I mean, she was... She would have been the one in the room who, uh, because most likely, you know, her complex of being who she is, she would have to be the most warmongerish of all the people. She'd have to be the craziest. She'd out-crazy the craziest general. Well, Mike, I mean, that's, that's just because everybody's so misogynist and... Exactly. ...that she would have to outman the men. That's all. Yeah. Even if it meant killing millions... If she can, <laughs> that's horrifically that sick. There is nothing that demonic creature would would ever stop. I mean, her laughing at just the death of Qaddafi. You know, we came, yeah, we, we came, saw, saw, he died. <laughs> I mean, that laugh, that <clears throat> sadistic, psychotic laugh. Because she's literally laughing at, uh, you know, the destruction of a country that was once a jewel of Africa, and she turned it into literal freaking hell on earth. I mean, that's. That is the the demonic possession, the power of the demon that is inside Hillary Clinton. Absolutely. And, I mean, just expanding on that, you know, there's a lot you can say about Gaddafi. I'm sure he wasn't a fantastic human being. But if you just look what he did for his people, they had a higher standard of living than most of Eastern Europe. I mean, if you can comprehend that, Latvia, Lithuania, the Balt. I mean, it was a... Basically, compared to the other countries in Africa, it was essentially a paradise. I mean, if when you got married, you got like a thirty thousand dollar loan. If you had a kid, they gave you like a five thousand. I mean, it was you could go to college for free. He was the one person who took most of the oil revenues, probably because he had siphoned so many off for so long. He was rich as could be, but he, towards the end there, he was he made. If you look at it, Libya has the largest underground river in the world. They built this unbelievable underground river. I think it probably was bombed by the uh, yeah, giant, NATO Yeah, a giant pipeline, yeah. It's unbelievable. Giant. I mean, just what the guy did for the, the country and the people was just... Yeah, mean, and like, it was like it was, that, uh, yeah, that building project, uh, the the great underwater like river you saw at the boat. It was a giant pipeline they built to... He found aquifers in the middle of the desert, and he literally brought it to the city. And they fully funded the project. It was like $32 billion project and, and completely funded by that country. I mean, there's only, what, like 7 mean, million so people. So you mean he didn't, he didn't go into debt with the IMF no. in, order to, in order to build out his infrastructure? No, it's pretty amazing. I mean, everyone, I didn't even read more. You know, people could go abroad. They would pay for college. Women could own property. Women could be in the government. Christians could be in the government. Everyone was safe. You know, he kind of pacified those, the Sahara and the Sahil deserts with these friggin' nomads. Except for direct political opposition, which I'm sure he had his own version of the torture chambers, et cetera. So, I mean. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, like I said, no one's glorifying Gaddafi. Like I said, but when you're coming to these parts of the region, 
where everyone expects the way we live to be like everywhere else, we forget that we are we live in a country that has ungodly amount of wealth. You know, it's an unbelievable amount of wealth that's in this country, and a stability with no fear of foreign invaders on our border. You know that we can live in this kind of peace. I mean, we it's not like that everywhere else, people. Well, no, and one and interesting question about the whole Libya event as well. You know, it wasn't like Gaddafi was captured and then held for trial. He was literally executed on film. And one of the most interesting moments in time for me was, no matter what, if he was a bad guy or you hated him or if he was a tyrant, whatever, he was still the actual leader of a foreign nation. And he was taken out because the United States, NATO, a lot of French involvement, flew the sorties over there. We helped propagate ISIS, et cetera. And then this dude is, the, you know, the former leader of, a, of the government, and he's murdered on film, literally assassinated on film, executed, and heinously tortured previous to his execution. And yet nobody in our government seemed whatsoever interested in finding out. I mean, that's a war crime, <laughs> okay? It's a war crime uh, to torture okay. and, 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 you know, uh, murder anybody let alone the head of state that you're now deposing. Yeah, the idea, I think, was to kill Gaddafi because he knew where a lot of bodies were buried. Um, I mean, look what's going on with Macron right now. Or not Macron, um, the former leader of France. He's, he's, he's under, I think he's under indictment right now. Uh, Hollande? Not Hollande. Was it Sarkozy? Yes, Nicolas Sarkozy, who's actually the uh, stepson of a CIA agent. Uh, Frank Wisner, yeah, one of the top ones. That's Sarkozy's stepdad was. Um, but yeah, he's he's going down for a forty-two million dollar bribe scheme. And you know who bribed him with forty-two million dollars? Muammar Gaddafi, the guy that Sarkozy ended up uh, killing. Not a couple years after he gets the uh, the bribe. Um, but just getting back into uh, you know again what what this in, this disaster of a war in, in Libya really kicked off. Um, and Gaddafi had said it to the European allies, he said, you kill me and Europe goes black. And what he meant by that was there was going to be an unbelievable wave of migration and then you, on top of them, which is which has ended up happening, um, and then you spread that on top of what they did in Syria and the amount of migration that went north from there. We're talking about millions of people completely uh, displaced. And getting back in you know, just what else is going on in Libya immediately after the uh, the takeover by the jihadis. Because that's, you know, you want to say, oh, his torture chambers. He was literally torturing jihadis. We're talking like Al-Qaeda style. That's who wanted Gaddafi gone. It wasn't the middle class people. It wasn't the girls who look like the Western girls going to college. It was the jihadis from Benghazi. That's who took out, who, that's who we, you know, teamed up with. That's who our intelligence agency decided to team up with to take out Gaddafi. Um, and it wasn't just us. It was the, it was, that was a NATO war. So those were all Europeans flying the sorties for the most part. We flew a lot too, but it was mostly them. Well, and if yeah, I but remember he was, right, it was around that, that time frame as well where, you know, President Obama was, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he was uh, known to say something to the effect of, uh, well, you know, we uh, we work with the UN, and we'll 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 uh, take orders from NATO and whatever NATO decides, and that's what we'll do. 
know, whatever the UN wants. And they, and they did the whole, Samantha Power, they did the whole intervention into Libya under the guise of helping Libyans. Yeah, it was, it was helping the poor civilians being tortured by Gaddafi, which was probably mostly fabrication. you gotta, you got to look at it. This is another time when Obama was Trump by the deep state, deep state because I'm pretty sure before his State Department okayed uh, the U.S. and the NATO going to war here, he had said, no, we're not going to bomb Libya. That's not going to happen. And then literally the next day we were bombing Libya. So maybe he was trying to throw off Gaddafi, but it's more like he was just an aloof placeholder that they were, they were able to basically do whatever they wanted with. Not like Trump. So let's, um, you know, this Syria conflict is a, it's a, it's literally, it's its own show in itself. Let's get back to what we can't, we were talking to you about before with the new revelations and the Obamagate spine. Um, I have learned that there are new text messages that came out of Strzok and Page. So, Mike, why don't you go into that and explain uh, the connection? Most the, the connection that these text messages are most likely leading to. Okay, um, these text messages take place with Peter Strzok when he's in London on August third. So you have to look at it like this: by August third, the Trump campaign is already under investigation, and it actually starts to all make sense when you think about the timeline. Um, so we know now that Peter Strzok was indeed, he's the FBI guy. He's over in Britain because that's where this dossier came from. This is a British fiction written by Mr. Steele, a former, uh, a former agent for the British government uh, who still has connections to a bunch of people in the government. He's using Russian contacts. He never goes to Russia. But he's the one with the dossier who's then given to John Brennan. But John Brennan is CIA. He doesn't have any kind of legal authority. He, John Brennan then, and this is, all, this is all confirmed through timeline, John Brennan then gives the Steele dossier to Harry Reid. Harry Reid gives the Steele dossier to James Comey. This is in August, or this is end of July, early August. It is given to, to Comey, and then that's when they immediately start um, trying to nail Trump with these bogus charges. And that's why every time when James Comey is asked under oath, how would you describe the, the Steele dossier? He says salacious and unverified because they tried to verify it. And that's what I think is going to come out. This, this entire thing was a complete setup um, of Trump, all to masquerade, um, and it would, have, it would have been able to pull it off. I think they still would have been able to convict him on all this had he lost, which is what they wanted to do. I think they wanted to destroy Trump, destroy the idea that anybody from outside of the swamp can come in there and make any kind of serious change. So that's what it's looking like with these, these text messages are confirming that the FBI was indeed on Trump's tail in early August looking to hit him with something. And the good news is for Trump is they were looking hard and they couldn't find anything because they wanted to charge him, but they just didn't have, there wasn't evidence for it. And it leads back to the text, me another text message earlier released from Strzok when he said he's getting pressed by Bill Priestap to join Mueller's team. And he's like, I, I would, but I know there's no there there. This is the guy who was in Britain doing all the, the, the follow-up on the pathetic Steele dossier. Didn't find anything. He knows there's nothing there. There's no collusion there. What good is he going to do on that team? Well, what good it does is by him being on the team, they now look at everything 
that has to do with Peter Strzokin. They find the emails, and to me, that was like almost the beginning of it. Once that first e-text message came out, and what they first dropped was just these two supposed investigators, Strzok and Page, just making fun of Trump. This is just what the, and this is, this is the leak. This is the drip, drip, drip. What we're getting to, so it started out, go back. The first ones are about how they hate Trump how his voters are disgusting, uh, what a nightmare it would be if he wins. Um, then, fast forward, the next one that comes out is the fact that he's talking about Flynn and that another, uh, and then in between that, so these text messages come out, start coming out and you people start asking, well, who is this Peter Strzok? And they're like, oh, he was on the Mueller team. Um, and I want to say the first text messages came out in around October. And they're like, oh, wait, but he was let go back in August. Well, why didn't Mueller think to tell anybody that, hey, one of my former investigators, my top investigators, had an extreme Trump bias before the election? Um, and we have text messages and emails on government equipment, which is unbelievable, to prove it. So Mueller holds the fact that he fired this guy off his team in uh, August, and it continues on with you know the, the, further, the further drip, drip, drip. So it's Trump is terrible. And then they drop more struck text messages related to Flynn after the conviction. Then fast forward to where we're at now, and we've placed the anti-Trump Flynn convictor or duper, Peter Strzok, in Britain. And we now know he is doing follow-up on the Steele dossier. They later confirmed salacious and unfair verified piece of opposition research that the FBI used to start an investigation. See, that's the big issue here. There's nothing Trump was doing. What the FBI used was completely invented to get an investigation going against a person running for office. This is, un, this is why this is unprecedented. It's never happened before, and people are going to go down. You know, Mike, I got a question for you, and it, it, you may not have an answer. It might be uh, out of left field. But listening to you right now, I, I get this sense that there's a possibility anyway that maybe there, in fact, was some people in the Department of Justice, uh, maybe even some in the FBI and elsewhere in government, that was witness to all this stuff Obama was doing with the illegal spying, which, you know, it seems like a lot of different people have a lot of different motives, and we went over some of those, you know, from personal to what's at stake as far as the money goes, uh, that will be spent or not spent that Trump can control. Uh, so they've got to stop him from coming in. <clears throat> but it seems like, it, it, it almost seems, <laughs> you know, we've talked about how stupid Strzok, and I mean, this is supposed to be like the number two anti-spy guy, and he's like the worst, sending out all these text messages. What's the possibility here that, that people had visibility on this ahead of time, and not necessarily setting up these bad actors in the DOJ and the FBI, uh, but understanding that once Trump is elected, that they can go forward and begin to expose this stuff. I mean, what do you suppose the odds of that happening are? I'd have to say that would be 100%. Um, that's kind of what you get with, you know, Admiral Mike Rogers initially, you know, back in, back in April, like we discussed earlier, of 2016, kind of shutting down the illegal unmasking. I mean, what we're looking at is, here is just a series of crimes, literally trying to derail Trump the entire time. Um, and like you said, we looked at the motives. I mean, with, with Obama, obviously, it was extremely personal. 
I mean, because there wasn't a single guy. I mean, the way I'm looking at it, like, Trump pulled the ultimate troll job of all time. I mean, he planned it up like, if you want to look at it like that, I mean, it could be construed that way. Seven years in advance, or uh, five years in advance when he first comes out with the whole Obama birther thing. I mean, there was something to that. That had to have just completely drove Obama crazy. Um, and you saw it at the, what is that, the press, the the White House Correspondents' Dinner, um, where they're making fun of Trump in, in Obama's last year, and Trump was in attendance. And everybody was just laughing at Trump, and what a joke he was, because that was the exact joke. I, th- I heard you were running for president when I thought you were going to just run as a joke. And, yeah, Trump, so, I mean, but Trump does this troll job. He gets this guy so mad that when Trump runs for president, of course he's going to use every trick in the book and including it up to completely illegal tricks and including trying to set up and frame the guy that, you know, completely was a thorn in your side for as long as he was. Um, It's the ultimate troll job because he got Obama to to react how he wanted. And now it sure looks like um, this might lead back to Obama's. It's, it's just, it's unbelievable. What can you explain um, just in your opinion, Obama's, shadowing the president everywhere he goes. I mean, is he trying to, uh, you know, alleviate uh, the deep state in all these different countries because they're all connected, trying to reassure them that Trump won't be a problem and then they'll be able to go forward with their plans? Because, I mean, you've never seen a former president do what Obama is doing with the current president. I mean, how would you how do you look at that whole dynamic yeah, he's definitely ghosted him for a while there. Um, I think it kind of has to do with what you were saying, just maybe trying to reassure people that he and his group in the deep state that, you know, hey, don't worry, you know, we're going to we're gonna take care of this guy, don't worry about it. But if you look at Trump's um, reception when he goes to somewhere like China, I mean, they roll out the red carpet, they, carpet, they do the not, you know, they got the people... Um, dancing around and doing songs, you know, and last time Obama went there, he was, I mean, there was, there was barely even a delegation to, he, to, he had to crawl out of the ass of his airplane. They'd even send him a staircase and they put Trump in the, in the forbidden city where there hasn't been a foreign dignitary since the cultural revolution, like 80, 70, 80 years ago. He's the first foreign dignitary that brought to the forbidden city. And literally Obama had to crawl out the bottom of his plane because the Chinese refused to send a staircase for him to come out the side of Air Force One. I mean, the, the ultimate uh, disrespect when he came to Obama on the foreign stage. Yeah, a lot of that most likely had to do with uh, the entire Trans-Pacific Partnership uh, deal. Because if you look at it, I mean, what the, the global elites of our country, again, this isn't going to help middle class. But what they wanted to do was isolate China by sewing up all the countries around them, this Trans-Pacific Partnership, um, which then they'd be, and this is all it was for, was to undercut Chinese prices on everything. It would have destroyed our middle class, whatever we had left of it. It would have completely annihilated any manufacturing. It would have been a disaster for the American people, but it would have been great for the 1%. And the fact that Trump, a billionaire, comes, in, comes into the presidency and basically day one, 
annihilates that disgusting piece of paper, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, that thousands of pieces of paper just annihilated it. Um, that confirmed to me this, this guy was for real. A lot of people have seen, you know, maybe he's taken step backs by, by firing the missiles into Syria. But when you look in the context, I mean, that was to alleviate a psychotic, rabid media um, and most likely power-thirsty or warmongering uh, counselors like Mr. McMaster, who's now gone. It bought so, Trump time. Absolutely. You know, I, got, I think the question of the hour for a lot of people that are, are keeping some sense of track of what's going on with this Obama spying uh, scandal and the appointment of this non-special, special U.S. attorney prosecutor who can work with the IG uh, to bring all these crimes uh, into examination. I think the big question of the hour is, based on what you've seen as far as the updates go, and where we're at in the trajectory of, it, of all this stuff. You know, what do you think the likelihood is that anybody beyond low-level assholes in, in DOJ and or, and or high-level assholes in the FBI are ever actually brought to account? I mean, you know, where is this really going? Do you, do you foresee, you know, for instance, and I just can't see it. I don't see it. I can't see it. It's probably because the idea is so foreign to me from what I've seen uh, over in 50 years. You know, can Hillary Clinton actually be indicted? Can Bill Clinton actually be indicted? Uh, can Obama inner circle team members or even Obama himself be indicted? That's a great question. Um, and I would, Clem, I'd go with your assumption on things. Nothing ever happens to these people. So the safe bet would to say most likely nothing's going to come of it. I mean, like you say, maybe this investigation it looks good on paper, but then they only end up char charging a couple people with the most minor part of the crime and kind of sweep it under the rug like, oh, we took care of that. But there's been other rumblings. You know, there's supposedly a $120 million renovation of uh, Gitmo, which was something we were supposed to be on our way out of. You have all these unsealed indictments around the country that people are speculating have relation to this uh, investigation. I don't know, though. I don't... I'm kind of with you, Clem. I don't see, I don't see how you could take down the top of the top, just because I, I, there's no way, in my opinion, you can charge him, just because of the, uh, the social reaction, the media reaction they'd be able to stir up from that would be, you know, regardless of the amount of evidence. I mean, you could probably have it on film. It would just, it, I don't think they'd accept Obama, which I'm fine with. You know, no one wants to see a former president in prison, anyways. No matter how uh, bad you think they were, it's not a good look. But if we get everybody up to him, I would be happy. Susan Rice, Samantha Power, all these people, Lois Lerner, uh, Sally Yates. We we get all these people, it would be, I would consider it a win. And Hillary I, as well. I think Obama, just like you said, for the, for the possibility of the social unrest it would cause, you would have to paint out a pretty convincing uh, case to be able to get the general public to accept that. I mean, they might be doing that. I think Hillary is definitely the more, the kind of target that would be more palpable to the, to the civilian population to see be uh, arrested and tried and convicted. I mean, she is the crimes that this woman has committed. I mean, there's no, everybody reviles Hillary Clinton besides the, you know, the few sycophants that are left. Um, but I think even just with Obama, arresting him as long as he is politically castrated 
to where he is now a pariah, where he is now radioactive in the political world, is almost as good. I mean, to him, a political animal that, that he is, to be on, to be, basically be banished and ostracized would be basically a death sentence in his own mind, you know, right there. So I think even that, to where he is so shamed and, and uh, you know, his reputation tarnished that he is a political non-entity would be a pretty big thing itself. So maybe maybe just settling for, and it is, and it is kind of settling, but maybe settling just for the idea that uh, a very potent weapon that was in the hand of the globalists is now, you know, out of their hand, out of their holster, and out of their armory, and they're going to have to go out and foster uh, some new tools, some new weapons uh, against liberty and freedom in America and around the world. Let me ask you this. What's the opposite of that? What if, what if this investigation ends up going nowhere and the 2018 elections hands the Congress over to the Democrats? What then? Uh, it's, we're speculating pretty far into the future, but yeah, I would see absolutely the uh, the Dems go for an impeachment vote pretty much right off the bat. You know, it almost maybe kind of depends on the Democrats that get elected. This guy that just won the most recent House of Reps seat, I want to say, was in Pennsylvania. He was like a he former Marine. Trump a few times, didn't he? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And he wouldn't come out and directly. I mean, he basically run on ran on you know Trump's entire platform so but just with the d next to his name so i mean and he barely won by the way with some definite uh fishy things going on i mean we're talking he barely won by like 500 votes so i don't know about this whole blue tide thing well like i said we're gonna have to wait on that we're gonna have to see what the economy looks like in august September. right but i mean i'm just and i and i'm not so much wanting to speculate on the feasibility of the democrats winning necessarily but I'm just trying to paint the picture of, you know, if this, if the investigation being conducted by uh, this, this U.S. attorney out of Utah in combination with the IG report, and if, and if all this stuff comes to light and it turns out that there are prosecutable crimes, you know, how likely is it that they're prosecuted? And then the flip side to that is what if it comes out and, you know, it turns into a big, and I don't speculate that it would, I can't imagine that it would, but what if it turns into a big nothing burger in combination with, you know, other Republicans losing the control in the House and the Senate. In other words, you know, I, I, I think that <clears throat> I think that a lot of people who signed on with Trump in the beginning did so for a lot of various reasons. But I also think that it's critical to to kind of maybe understand what's at stake if these guys aren't allowed if these guys are not allowed to do their job. In other words, I mean I'm kinda of looking at it and thinking to myself you know, look at how much the legacy media is pushing the Mueller investigation, pushing the the uh, <clears throat> the collusion crap, which we all know is crap. Uh, there's been zero evidence of it. And like you pointed out at the beginning, you know, Mueller's been having to go after all kinds of stuff that has nothing to do with with any collusion story. So they're they're really, you know, clinging to this hope that Mueller is going to somehow save the day. But I think there's probably a lot of people also clinging to the hope that you know, Jeff Sessions and this, this U.S. attorney out of Utah are going to take, take this uh, examination of, of laws that were broken at the highest levels in the federal government by particular individuals, not necessarily the government itself, you know, and, and put a lot of stock and hope in that. And, and, I mean, I'm just trying to reconcile in my head, you know, what is the – ultimately, if this, is, if this is done right, what happens? And, and as, you know, Tony said, 
if nothing else, a lot of these people become politically toxic, so they're not out there campaigning. And by the way, their message becomes toxic with them, I think. And you do, and as you pointed out, Mike, you know, you had a guy in Pennsylvania, he won, barely won, but he sounded a lot like Trump. So, I mean, I'm just not trying to get myself too excited here thinking that, oh boy, you know, Sessions is going to do the right thing and, and Trump is uh, on the path to, you know, taking out the uh, the cabal that tried to overthrow his election and then restore America and make America great and all that. I mean, it's it's a hard thing for people to buy into. And so, you know, what specific details are out there? And we've covered some of them, but, you know, what are the details that, you know, how damning is this IG report going to be and who's going to go down? And I think these are just things that are, are creating a lot of sense of anxiety uh, for a lot of people. I know, I mean, I'm feeling it and I, I see it on social media and you see the polarization still. Uh, thank you very much, Legacy Media Fake News, for continuing to perpetuate this Russian collusion delusion. And how does it all end up? You know, where does it all go? Is there a collision here? Is this, you know, at some point, do you got two different people in the FBI saying, no, he's the criminal, no, he's the criminal? I mean, that's that's looking like civil war. Well, let's. I don't think it's ever going to get to that. Well, we're going to have to let's see, and maybe we'll close it out with this kind of thought here. We've got, we'll say there should be a lot of people who should be charged with crimes. And if you look at the stuff that's been leaked out, the slow trip by drip, um, it's looking like it's, it's going to have to happen because you can say, you know, there's a lot of corruption that Hillary Clinton's done before. And, you know, of course she has stuff that she should have been charged with. Absolutely. Uh, but the whole idea of completely nullifying the will of the people the fact that they used intelligence agencies to maybe conjure up or fabricate evidence to then lead to investigations to try and alter an election. I don't think the people are going to be cool with that. And if you look at how they reacted after Nixon supposedly sent a couple spooks in to a third floor or whatever on the in the Watergate building and they didn't get caught the first time or the second time, so they sent them in for the third time and they finally get caught. Um, the country was pretty upset with Mr. Nixon after that, and, and he resigned as a result. This is going to make what Nixon did um, look like, you know, a, a, a t-ball game. It was nothing. What these people did, trying to affect the, the election in real time, doing it on gover government phones, making it just so blatantly obvious because you think this person that you want to win is going to win anyway. So, you know, what is the real point to this? It's your insurance policy to literally destroy the guy afterwards. You want to bankrupt him. You want to make it so it, no person ever tries to buck the system again. Um, and like I said much earlier one time, that it was just such an evil plot that it was destined to, to fail. And I think it's destined to be prosecuted because this has never been tried before, and they need to make a point that it needs to be never tried again. So for them to do that, if they want to keep the integrity of this country, people will go to jail and people will be convicted. Whether that happens or not, I don't know. I, I mean, I think you see Trump's kind of feeling on it just by him pardoning the one sailor that took a picture of himself on a submarine. You know, he made the point of saying, you know, this guy went to prison doing, you know, one-fifth of what Hillary did. So I really do agree with you on that, Mike, saying that the the integrity of the justice system is sitting in the balance right now. I mean, as much, um, you know, the, the FBI basically has no integrity left uh, after what's transpired 
that the, that the Justice Department, like I, like you were saying, it almost has to. Hillary is the perfect sacrificial lamb. She is reviled by both sides. Uh, most of the party is now, I mean, expressingly telling her to please shut up and, and get off the get off the tour date. I mean, you could even look at how much she's receiving for money. I think her last paid speech she just recently did, she got 25 grand. I mean, this is a woman that was commanding hundreds of thousands of dollars per speech just months ago, and she's down to 25 Gs. I mean, right there, it shows you that nobody wants her. Only the sycophants are still hanging on. She is the perfect sacrificial lamb to go down. The Clinton machine has been busted, and, and, and the, the Podesta machine has been busted along with it. So her main core of money, uh, you know, especially with the turnover in Saudi Arabia, with the, the princes that got rounded up there, I mean, a lot of those were her money men. So, you know, Hillary's kind of hanging out there, and I think she's the perfect perfect person to show, you know, that some some justice has returned, you know, and, and we sent her away. Like I said, for Obama, it's a harder sell. They'd have to reveal some pretty intimate things publicly to get everyone on board for that. But like I said, I think it's even, it's way too early to speculate what's going to be happening in November in April that the kind of Intel, I'm sure the things that are going to come out prior to these elections is just going to be unbelievable because of the, the, the pivotal nature of this, this, this upcoming election. The fact that majorities are in both houses are at stake for Trump's agenda. It, it lends me to believe that, some pretty significant things are going to be revealed uh, coming up. So I think uh, it's actually a great place to end. Mike, thank you very much for coming in as always. Uh, Clem, as always, thank you. Uh, everyone at home, if you guys like Lipslayers, please uh, like us on Facebook. Subscribe to us on iTunes. We're also on Block Talk Radio. And I think just uh, with my closing quote I always usually do, I think with a like Clem was talking about earlier, the polarization and fear being spread around by the legacy media. We need to uh, refer to a quote from Thomas Jefferson where he said, and I quote, I prefer dangerous freedom over peaceful slavery. God bless you and God bless America.